Hey guys, it's your host, Jumi Moses, and welcome to Award to the Wise, a weekly podcast where I drop some knowledge and tips on how to combat obstacles in your life and become the best version of yourself. I also discuss ways to develop compassion, empathy, and growth in the direction of love and acceptance for all. I promise you, it's positive vibes only. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of A Word to the Wise podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in as always. If you are a new listener, welcome. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you do not miss future episodes. So guys, I hope that you're doing well. I still hope that you're staying safe. I hope that you're wearing your masks and still taking all of the safety precautions that you need to be taking because things are not back to normal. But I really truly hope that you're doing well and you're taking care of your mental health. And before we get into today's episode, you know what time it is. It is time for the song of the week. And the song of the week this week is called Black Girl Soldier by Jamila Woods. And here it is. As promised, I'm going to be leaving all of the details in the show notes of the song if you want to check it out after listening to today's episode. So guys, I am super excited for today's episode. It's a pretty long one, but it's pretty worth it. And on today's show, I'm going to be speaking with Amanda. We've been best friends for over a decade now, and she's literally like a sister to me. If you ask Amanda what lights her up, she'll most likely respond with something along the lines of advocacy work with respect to civil rights. Amanda is a 3L student at Roger Williams University School of Law. She is the current president of the Honor Board, and she has also served in the Black Law Student Association and the Diversity and Inclusions Steering Committee, amongst other roles within student law groups. In addition, she was a finalist and best runner-up oral advocate in the Esther Clark Moot Court competition, where she got to present and argue a case in front of the Rhode Island Supreme Court. And I'm like, what? Just, just amazing. She's arming herself to be a change agent in the legal field. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the legacy of John Lewis and how she aspires to continue in the fight towards racial justice. We will also be talking about her passion for advocacy and the importance of self-preservation as you are doing the work, in addition to other interesting topics. I am super confident that you guys are going to love this episode. It was so much fun talking to Amanda. So let's get into the show.
Hey, Amanda, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here. How are you? I'm doing fabulous this morning. Blessed and highly favored, but super excited to be here with you to chat. Yeah, feel the vibes because, you know, it's good vibes only. So I came for that. <laughs> right, right. No, I was, this, I mean, obviously, you know that like when I started the whole podcast thing or whatever, I was like, yo, we need to do an episode together. But we kept talking about like, what episode should we do? Like what topics? And, you know, with John Lewis passing recently, I wanted to dedicate a whole episode to him, you know, and his work and why like his work was so important and why like literally we're all like standing on his shoulders. But I was like, I can't do that solo. Like what better person to talk about the legacy of John Lewis and advocacy and activism than you. So I'm super excited to have you here today to discuss all of that. So I'm humbled. I'm super humbled that you just put me and John Lewis in the same category as his soul for all his work. But um, I'm appreciative that you kind of see that in me. And I hope that I could be even just 25% of what. John Lewis bestowed on this nation. If I could even just tap into that, I feel like I'm winning. No, you definitely have the, you definitely 120,000% have the fire to you. So just off the bat, like what does John Lewis's legacy mean to you? And like, why was his work so important? To me, John Lewis stands as a symbol of we can do this. Um, He is the epitome of persistence. And I think that, Oftentimes, activists find themselves in these places where they're on the front end. So they're out here planting seeds for trees that they're never going to enjoy the shade of. And up until his last days, it's like you're still fighting for the same things that you were fighting for 30, 40 years ago. Um, But that fire in his spirit just never ended. And I think that that's something that's important to remember. Don't give up even when it gets hard. Sometimes change does take time. It's, and we don't want it to take time. We want it to happen, you know, simultaneously and instantaneously. Um, but something that I pride myself on is strategic and lasting change. We don't want the pleasantries. We're not here for the, hey, you know, that's cool. You can put Black Lives Matter on the street. You can take a knee. Great. But what I really want to talk about is what's happening in those boardrooms. I want to talk about hiring decisions. I want to talk about legislation and policy. So for me, I feel like that's what John Lewis shows, you know, the history of his family and to where he's become. Like, I didn't realize, you know, we hear great things about him, but the fact that he was so young, so young out there for the March on Washington and just doing things and hearing him talk about his life um, in hindsight, you know, talking and being human, putting human nature to that, being like, I was nervous. I had to buy this suit. I had to do all these things. And I'm like, dude, I see you. I value you. I thank you for your contributions. But he is, when I think of John Lewis, I think of persistence. Don't get upset about what's happening now. Just know that Sometime when history is looked at, you want to make sure that you were on the right side. And Mr. Lewis was on the right side the entire time down to his last days. So that's what I am striving to be like. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, John was so selfless in his approach to activism and advocacy. And he literally put his life on the line. Um, One of his famous quotes is like, if you see something that is not right, not fair, not just you have a moral obligation to do something about it. And like, you know, obviously that's common sense, but Mm -hmm. 
not a lot of people actually are able to abide by that. You know what I mean? And he made it his life mission to always stand up, always speak to what is right. And even like he called it good trouble. My philosophy is very simple. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just say something, do something, get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. Continue to be brave and bold and courageous. Continue to stand up, speak up, and speak out. All of us must begin where we are, to build bridges, bridges of compassion. For too long, we have been divided. I just get goosebumps thinking about his life. And like, you know, we all are working towards the fight of justice and stuff. But like another reason why I really want to talk to you is because I know that this stuff flows in your bones, right? (laughs) You don't take this stuff lightly at all. Um, One of the, like, I remember you put a quote on May 27th when we were in this whole heat of like the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd. And there's something that you said that like really, really, really um, stood out to me. You said, as someone who is stewarding in the season to ensure that our criminal justice system is just, I have a lot to lose by speaking out. I have and always will call out injustice in the classroom, with school administrators, in professional settings, and with law enforcement. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Is it necessary? Yes. Is it often a road traveled alone? Yes. Even after all of that, I do not regret it. We need to stop vilifying accountability as aggression. I'm passionate. I'm not naive. I'm fully aware of the cost of my activism and advocacy. And those words were so, so, so powerful. So can you just talk to me about some of the experiences that you've had where you had to like stand up for an injustice or speak out against something which felt really lonely to you? First of all, I'm laughing that, you know, clearly you did your research because you were boss. Let's talk about that. Um, But you know, it's one thing to write things, but then to hear somebody else read your words and you're like, wait a second, you know, we're a couple months removed from the post. And I'm like, wow. But I thank you for that. So I would probably start off by saying that advocacy has always been a part of my life. Um, I may not have been able to put an actual word to it, what the experience was, but it has always been a thing, um, which is unique because it's not like I came from a super radical family who was out here just like willing to risk it all. Um, But I think that looking at my trajectory, it was something that has honestly been baked into my purpose. Um, We can go a lot deeper and I know it probably will come at some point, but I know that the ability to speak out is not something that everyone has. Um, It is a gift and I think that I found myself in positions time and time again where I like had to do that. So um, I'm gonna, my most salient memories of it definitely stem from like undergrad till now. Um, one, for example, and I think I remember talking to you about this way back in the day. First of all, we kind of old now, sis. But I know. <clears throat> let's not, let's not we get young it. at heart, <laughs> here to stay forever young. Um, 
Yeah, so I was an undergrad. I definitely was a freshman or sophomore. And I walked into our dining hall, which like most undergrads have, you know, an upstairs or downstairs, like the quick fast food, the really good cooked food upstairs type stuff. Minding my business, just trying to check my mailbox. And all of a sudden, there was a student of color um, who was basically verbally accosted by a white student was called like the n-word and something else i honestly couldn't give you the exact parameters of what happened because it was like a trigger for me as soon as i like saw the confrontation going down the physicality of the situation like i just read it and i was like oh wait let me be on guard and we're talking about this is like 2014 2013 ish somewhere around there um and i approached i inserted myself into this situation that I had no business being a part of and apparently no stake in it. You know, this wasn't someone who I knew, um, but it didn't matter to me that I didn't know either of the students involved. To me, it was important to to say something. So I jumped in and I started like, I just blacked out and I started spitting justice and calling it out for what it was. And all of a sudden, another classmate comes around the corner with a camera and I was like, stop, this didn't just happen to me. Like, you know, we always joke and we're like, where's the cameras? But then that time there's actually the cameras. Right. <laughs> like, why me, God? Why me? So um, they were doing something for a class where they were assessing whether or not people would intervene when they saw like an injustice, particularly racial justice um, issues. And I was like, Wow. First of all, at that moment, like that's my, I breathed. So like when I said I blacked out, like it didn't care at that moment, my well-being, my physical safety, my mental safety, like what was that? I wasn't even thinking of it. But when they came around the corner, it was like this huge sigh was like came out because I'm like, wow, I was so ready to risk it all in this moment. Right. Um, and that's super, super, super important because What's happening right now in our nation, people think that, oh, we were over racism and things of that nature, but it's incredibly harmful. This bystander effect is something that is real. Right. And, you know, I respect and honor certain people's decisions because, like, for example, I can't do like braids. I can't, first of all, I still can't cornrow my own hair. Yep, I said that publicly for the nation to hear. I still can't cornrow. But, I know people who do. So I'm going to go to the people who do because they're bomb at what they do. Um, not everybody has the same set of gifts. If that was the case, then I don't know what we'd be doing here on earth. But I also recognize that if we don't utilize our certain gifts, if we don't choose to show up into these spaces and recognize the power that we have, the power that our voice has, then we're going to continue this system of injustice. Um, it might not affect you, but it's going to be worse for the next generation to come or the next person in that role when you don't say something because it normalizes tomfoolery, to be honest with you. It normalizes ignorance. It normalizes hate to the point where we're so far that it's completely absurd to me that we're out here arguing about the humanity of Black people in particular. Right. The fact that that's even a point of debate, the fact that we have to say like, our lives matter. And all of a sudden, people like to read in all these other words before and after it, like only Black, no one said that. But 
the fact that we have lived in this constant state of this falsified reality, now that we're trying to actually address truth, it's being labeled as aggression, as hate, as anti-American, anti-patriotic. You know, so I think for me, that was one of my first um, examples. I think another example that I'll share with you, um, and when we, we talked about this podcast and I was like, wow, this is such a, like a perfect thing. And it, it, it like made me think, you know, you were like, we talk about these things all the time and I know you're super passionate about it. And as a friend, as a sister, you care about how these things impact me and how I show up in the world every day. And I was like, Amanda, why is it that, you know, you keep finding yourself in these positions? So then you start doing that introspective work and you're like, is it me? Am I the problem? Am I the problem maker here? Am I just too sensitive or something like that? But the truth of the matter is there's a lot of injustice. So I've also addressed issues of systemic racism within the classroom, um, both at the undergraduate level and at the law school level. Um, but I will say, for example, at the law school level or at any level of like professional schooling where there are people who quote unquote hold the keys to your your future in their hands everyone's always so afraid right. but what you know people don't recognize is this work would be much easier if it didn't fall on that one person it wouldn't be so time consuming so emotionally taxing um, and exhausting if we actually stepped up and stepped out together for something that's right. That doesn't mean, you know, that every situation that occurs has to be documented or every time somebody makes a mistake, because people do make mistakes, right? No one's perfect. Sometimes people use the wrong terminology. Sometimes people are truly well-intentioned, but they just didn't know better in that moment. And I can appreciate that. But I think the same way how we all get that gut feeling when you know that something didn't come from a genuine place, trust that gut feeling, that intuition is a thing. Trust how that person reacts when you bring the conversation to them. Did they get defensive? Is it, oh my goodness, that's not what I meant. I have X, insert whatever social identity. I have a black friend or I do this, or then they wanna tell you about their track record of how they've been such a just person in all aspects of life. Um, but, you know, in the quote that you had read there, you recall the fact that I had said, it's a lot for me as a, a law student to say certain things because people are afraid. Uh, we are in a digital age where people are screenshotting, saving things. People are getting canceled at their job. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that, because I'm glad that people are being checked. But also that means that whatever I put out there, I have to be willing to stand by it. Um, and I've always said that whenever that time comes in my life, that if whenever I'm called home, that at my funeral, somebody had to say it like Amanda lived and died by her sword. Mm. One thing I will always do because I need to be able to look myself in the mirror and be able to close my eyes at night and be like, Amanda, did you do your part today? Did you, I can't sit with my conscience and say, oh, I didn't say anything because it made me uncomfortable. People like John Lewis fought way too hard for us to still be navigating in these spaces of my voice doesn't matter or I'm concerned. But also I think that my comfortability to show up and stand up and say these things is rooted from a place of my faith. Um, 
I believe that whatever is meant to be for you is for you. And no matter what obstacle comes your way, it won't stop you from getting to the purpose you want. And I say that because that's just my truth. You know, I've come into rooms or I've gotten opportunities that I didn't even know existed. I'm like, oh, you know, you, you think in your head, you're like, yeah, I want this job. This is great. And then boom, a door shows up and there's an opportunity that's like way better that you couldn't even have imagined. You're like, um, did you guys read the right name on the application? Sure. Like, are you sure? I apply for this. And I'm like, oh, oh, God ordained it. Oh, oh, say less, say less. That means it's better than anything that I could have imagined. Um, But everything happens for a reason. And I think that, that as someone who's in the legal profession right now, going into this final year of law school, praise God. Oh, my God. Um, wait, wait, let's talk. <laughs> You're on your third year of law school. I am. I cannot believe that. Can you imagine? I can't believe that. Like it went you by some so, of the conversations. It went by so fast. I remember we used to talk about it. We'd pray about it. You, all these different applications, the LSAT, Ugh. and like now, you're almost you're almost there. Like Yo, I could. Where, let's take it. Like good job. Good, <laughs> Thanks, sis. Good, I appreciate good you. job. Listen, advocacy is your calling, right? But it's not something that you can do by yourself. And you find yourself in situations where you're advocating for certain things and people are looking at you like you're crazy, right? Like, what is she talking about? Nobody else wants to stand up and have those conversations or stand up for what is right. Because I'm not going to lie to you, right? Like, I do think that, like, in the age we live in, it's so, like... People expect advocacy to look one way. And like mm-hmm. you said, people have different gifts, people bring different things to the table. And like it can be so overwhelming. It's like, oh, am I out? Am I protesting enough? Am I am I donating enough? Like it's all these different things and it's overwhelming. And what people would mm-hmm. rather do would just be be silent, right? Yeah. Or yeah. just act like it does not affect them. So they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to get into conflict. But like you said, people like John Lewis, like they fought for us to be able to continue to do the work that we're doing to be able to put us in spaces that we're in to be able to talk and speak up against things that are not that are not right you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and for me I think that like this like let's even get into the whole voting thing right like John fought so hard for black people to be able to vote Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just really hope that people exercise that right to come this election because a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, we don't like either option. That's what they kind of said to when um, Hillary was running against Trump. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get political, right, because we can get into like a deep dive. but, But in general, like part of fighting part of being like okay we need to like deconstruct the system is Mm -hmm. going out there and voting and like you said standing up for things that are really really um really really important and necessary for us to really be talking about and you also said something that was important as well um and i'm gonna quote you too um Because it's it's all of our fight, right? And I hate yeah. when people, like it's a black or a white issue, or you know it's a black like it's it's just an issue for black people. I'm like, no, it's a human issue. It's so tiring to fight for your dignity as a human being to just live and just exist and be free. I don't mm-hmm. know about you, but that whole month of like the end of May leading into June, like it was just so overwhelming. 
Like I literally mentally distressed because Mm -hmm. I'm like, yo, like we, it, it it just, it felt so, it felt so heavy. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? And like, I didn't want to watch the George Floyd video, but I made myself watch it um, because I didn't want to just block it out. Do you get what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Like this Mm -hmm. really is a reality. And as a human being, no matter what race, no matter what color, no matter what like profession, it should make you sick to your stomach. Mm -hmm. And there's Mm -hmm. something you wrote in, in one of your posts on Facebook. And you said, all police officers are not bad. All prosecutors are not bad, but the select few who are make it bad for all of you. Regardless of your profession, if you're being quiet and not addressing the flaws of your community, you are also part of the problem. You see, we choose our professions. I did not choose to be Black. I thought that was like, (laughs) right, I'm like, bars, straight bars. I just thought that was so, so powerful. So like, in, in, in your opinion, what would you say that like people need to, who are allies, quote unquote, what would you say that they need to keep in mind to ensure that we're all still working towards this fight, right? Because things have died down a little bit, right? But <laughs> as John said, we still need to cause good trouble, right? Like we're all the still time. in that fight. Every day. In that fight. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things that um, you touched on there that I'm definitely going to round back to. But I think the first thing when we talk about allyship, Um, and what that looks like. I think it's important to talk about responsibility. Um, When we say that it's everyone's fight, I would be, I'm cautious of that because it is not on the backs of Black people, Brown people, whoever the marginalized identity is to right the wrongs of those who have the power. Absolutely. Um, So that's the first thing because when people start saying, we're all in this fight, I'm like, um, excuse me, ma'am, sir, folks, I didn't contribute to this. I am not benefiting from this. However, I want the same energy that you're bringing to whatever your profession is in life. So right now I'm stewarding in my season to become an attorney. In order for me to do that, I have to go to law school. A part of law school means that I have to do research. I have to do writing. I have to practice, um, you know, my litigation skills in the classroom, in the courtroom, all those things. So when you're talking about learning how to be an anti-racist, when you're talking about social justice, you have to get out there and find the resources yourself. Oftentimes, many allies find themselves saying, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't know what to do. And then they lean on their friends in that marginalized identity to educate them. They carry that burden. And they don't understand that it's taxing to carry that baton. It's emotionally exhausting to then have to explain to someone who is well-intentioned and really wants to do great things and who stands with you in the fight to then educate them. Because when it comes to your classwork, you had to do the work. I didn't grow up with all this knowledge in my head. You have your lived experiences. We have our lived experiences. And those things are incredibly valuable, right? That's real hard, raw data and whatever you've experienced is true. Um, But then there's also the social sciences behind it, right? There's also when we talk about institutionalized racism, I couldn't just get out here and say, 
oh yeah, like this is what my truth is. So that it's the truth for everybody. Because when I speak, I can't speak for the experiences of all people or all black people or, or all Afro-Caribbean second generation, hashtag Trini out here. Like I can't speak for, <laughs> I can't speak for everybody. Um, but what we can talk about are those structures that do impact everyone. And when you speak, you have to come from a place of knowledge. So seek that knowledge yourself. You know, there's always a fine line there. Um, and something that I've always struggled with because I talk about, or you mentioned a little bit earlier, the whole line of what advocacy looks like for some folks. And, you know, right. are you doing enough? Are you doing too little? Um, is it social media popular type thing? Right. Are you just and, doing the bandwagon? Because people do yes. that. Like, it's like, it's a fad. Like, oh, we're all we're all out there, we're protesting, we're doing this, but it's like, it's, are, are you real? Or are you just kind of like trying to be part of like what you think is popular in the moment? Yeah. And it's, it's a hard thing to juggle. And I think what I've had to learn is that advocacy requires, you know, several components, but two main things that go hand in hand is the self-preservation um, with the activism. Because if you are not taking care of yourself, then you're not going to be able to do anything. Um, and you know this, I thoroughly have failed on self-preservation many and many and many a time. Mm. Um, I think, you know, I've been blessed to have some awesome people in my life who understand that this is something that I can never turn my head away from. Um, and not that they don't care about these things, but they always interject and they're like, Amanda, I need you to take a step back. Like, you're in law school. You're in law school. You can't afford to be up till five in the morning because your head and your heart are just racing and you're trying to figure out the way to change the whole system by yourself. Like it can't work like that because it's going to take away from the schools, the schools, the skills and all that stuff that you need right now to be able to make change um, in the future. But not that those feelings aren't real, but that I have to take care of myself. And I think sometimes I even find myself in a weird space because there are people like me. I don't know if you remember way back in the day when I would post on social media every day that Black Lives Matter, like 365, mm. yes. it didn't matter what. Yes. I used to do it all the time. Yes, you did. Um, and it's hard for people who find themselves in that fight every day. And then, you know, things happen on a national scale, like rest his soul, but George Floyd. And now everyone's awakened. And then the people who've been doing that work, they're like, um, well, thanks for coming to the party, but you're kind of late. And now you just want the credit. Like we've been doing, we've been trying to do this work. Um, so to not be angry for the folks who are showing up late, be um, rejoiceful that they're showing up at all. And hopefully they're here to stay so that that burden doesn't just fall on, on you all the time. The other thing is that you have to be careful not to compare yourself to other people and how they practice their activism in their advocacy because and this is me you know they always say uh do as i say not as i do this is this is me um because i can be really hard on myself when you see other people out there doing great things whether it's like in the community um organizing grassroots things and they're reaching such broader masses um and although i'm super active in the communities that i'm like directly a part of you know, you know that I'm glad I go to school in Rhode Island, but my heart is in Boston. And that's where I grew up. 
I went to undergrad in Massachusetts, but I wasn't in the city. So it was just a different experience, but I really want to be able to be out there. I want to um, community organize and things of that nature. But what I'm doing right now in my life doesn't allow me the, the time to be present in all of those same ways. And understanding that my time to do those things are, are not missing, but they're coming. And that the tools that I'm trying to gain right now, the experiences that I'm gaining right now are going to better inform that work. Now, don't get it twisted. You can talk to anybody at my undergrad. You can talk to anybody here at my law school. You can talk to the people who I worked with during my, you know, my tenure in between undergrad and law school. And they'll tell you, like, Amanda always finds a way to bring that stuff to her work. Um, when I say that stuff, I mean social justice, particularly racial justice work. I'm always pushing the envelope. So, and you know this because you're always asking me, um, sis, are you all right? How, how do you right. do? <laughs> are you all right? How are you so involved in like, Oh, you, oh, you getting decent grades? Oh, oh, okay. All right. Something slight, something slight. Because it is hard. Like, for example, this quote unquote summer break here that we had between the two semesters in law school, summer break where? Where was the break? Because I was, I feel like I was more involved in school stuff than I was even in, in session. How was that even possible? How is that possible? And you know that I'm involved. So you know, some of the things that I do, like I'm involved in um, diversity and inclusion, equity groups at all different stakes, right? I'm still involved at my undergrad right now in the alumni festivities. And that's important. Specifically, you know, we're working on forming, well, not forming, but it's literally about to launch um, a networking group that connects alumni of color with students of color mm. who are there. And that's important, right? Because I want all students to, to succeed. But I also recognize that Black and Brown students are often the ones who get overlooked. They're often the ones who haven't recognized their talents yet or aren't, or aren't comfortable to advocate for themselves, or they just don't even know that they should be advocating for themselves. So that broader network is important. I'm doing all of those things while also being a student, while also, you know, interning and or externing at different agencies. I'm also planning for the next steps in my life. So a lot is happening. It's not to say that I'm just, I'm definitely not stagnant, but the communities that I'm in, I am moving and I'm trying my best to contribute my talents, my gifts, um, my resources, whatever I can to make sure that we are developing structures that are going to last far beyond my time. Um, and it's it's hard. It can be really hard, but I know and in my soul. a lot of pressure too. It can be. It really can be. And I know something that you always told me for, for the viewers out there, for the listeners, let me just let y'all know. Jumi and I have been in each other's lives for a minute. Right. Um, we're not going anywhere. But <laughs> like in high school, we she would always laugh at me because, you know, occasionally we had some free periods. Where was Amanda? In the cubicles, right. in the library. I'm like, yo, can you can you come out and chat and talk? But don't <laughs> listen to me though, because me, like, listen. <laughs> I'm a, I was not trying to do schoolwork, period. I mean, I, I got the grades, right? But definitely, yeah, Amanda knows. Like, she'd be like, Jumi, like, did you, I don't see you study, but yet you're here taking this exam and you're passing. But it's like, yeah. But like, I, I'm like, Amanda, come, like, let's have fun. It's like, she's I was like, like, like fun. always in the books. 
<laughs> what is this fun that you speak what is, of? What, is, what does fun mean to you? <laughs> Don't get it twisted, though. We we found a balance. Yes, but yes, a balance is important. It, it can be hard, um, <laughs> but I, I've been I've been better. I think I, I would give myself that. I've definitely been better. It took some growing pains to get there, but just understanding that what advocacy looks like for each person is going to be different, and it has to be because we all have different gifts, right? Absolutely. Some people. Um, couldn't go out and physically protest during the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic, right? But because of, you know, a number of issues, but they have the financial resources that other people may not have. So they were out here fueling those agencies that were, you know, either bail funds or doing legal work or representation or um, donating to HBCUs, things of that nature, which is important. Um, for me, I did go out and protest. I physically participated in um, two protests, um, one in Massachusetts and one in Rhode Island. And it was imperative for me. Up until that point, I really hadn't left my house. Um, I hadn't socialized with anybody since coronavirus decided to just take over 2020. Um, because I was being super precautionist and you know that I'm a germaphobe the people don't know but I'm a germaphobe so like that was just not it was a lot you know grocery trip was like a whole day affair type thing for me so when these opportunities came these protests came it wasn't even a second thought I was like oh we out here because and this is gonna sound crazy and I think that Sometimes people are too afraid to speak words to this experience, but I think that for the folks who did make it out and were able to make it out to physically protest, especially at the heat of coronavirus pandemic, it was a question of if I had to go out by something, let me go out by something that I knew I was trying to be better. I was bettering the world in some way. Yeah. Um, and that sounds radical. Like I know it sounds crazy saying it, but for me, it was like, well, I mean, if my time comes and it's because of me protesting, then at least I die by my sword. But, you know, coronavirus, no, ain't nobody winning right here. We don't know what is going on with corona. We don't know when it's leaving, how we're going to overcome it. Right. (laughs) But you know what was so powerful about what you're saying Um, is the fact that, like, even during the pandemic, people were like, nah, we're we're hitting these streets. Like, we don't we don't care. Like we are like, we're, we're coming out in droves and people really did risk getting the virus. Like you said, like you're a germaphobe, but like you really, really like you went out there and like, not just once, but I think you went, you were out there like twice. I was, and I was going hard. I mean, I may or may not have been dehydrated, but that's my business because I wasn't taking off my mask to drink no water, but it was okay. You know, I, I made it work. Um, I think the other thing is just to throw some legal jargon in there was I had to run the cost benefit analysis because for me, it was more beneficial to be out there and it formed as some sort of therapy, to be honest with you. The first time that I went out, the freeing experience, I was like, wow, to see people coming together hand in hand, literally all different races, all different creeds, religions, like socioeconomic status, it was beautiful. Um, because it seemed more than just theatrics, because I think a lot of what happens is, and what has been happening is this ripple effect. Everyone wants to get in on it. No one wants to be canceled by the culture. 
people are recognizing the value of black dollars and they're like, oh, wait a second. If we don't say black lives matter, they're going to take their coins elsewhere or right. they're not going to um, support us in these things. And it's true. People have to recognize those things, but it wasn't even uh, a second thought for me in that moment. And that's a privilege to even be able to say, I'm going to go out there and do this because I need to, I need to be able to look back in time and say that I was on the right side of history. I'm sure that John Lewis could not have anticipated like that we would have gotten to the place where we are now. And like, there are pros and cons to where we are, but I'm sure that, you know, at his time and even Martin Luther King Jr., they were radical. People did not want to associate with them. Right. They were arrested upwards of 30 something times. And it's like, and they didn't give up. Like, remember the, um, the Montgomery protests? Yes. With like, like this huge force of police officers and like, um, they were beaten. They were pushed back severely. And like, just to think about, it just makes me kind of tearful sometimes just thinking about how they just really carried, like, they're they're carrying all of us on their backs. Like, because a lot of times, I think it's easy for people to be like, well, that doesn't affect me. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. like ignore it or just pretend it doesn't exist. Or it might be really overwhelming, right? For some people, yeah. they just want to like retract and like really not talk about it. But it's like, if you don't, fight, then people who are coming after you aren't going to have better opportunities. And we are where we are today. I have the job that I have today. You're in law school. Like we're all doing these things because, you know, people like John Lewis decided that enough is enough and they were going to fight for us. And like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, if you see something that's wrong, you have a moral obligation to speak out. And like, I absolutely agree with you. Like, it's not, saying like it's everyone's fight, like being cognizant of like what that really means or how people can like, you know, take that. But I also like deeply, I feel like I get confused, not confused, but like when people are like, oh, all lives matter or uh, blue lives matter, or like they try to diminish the work of the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And like you said, mm-hmm. it, we're no, nobody's saying that other people's lives don't matter. But we're trying to draw attention to the fact that, like, Black people are constantly under attack. Yep. Um, And I just feel like, like you said, you didn't choose to be Black. I didn't choose to be a a Black woman. Um, Nope, I was blessed, though. (laughs) Right. But at the same time, like, I could have been born as something something else. So, like, for Mm -hmm. me, I think, like, people always feel like it's other. Like, you're it's me versus you or like, you know, but, but for me, like intuitively, I'm just like, yo, we're literally like as a human being, like if you see somebody suffering or see somebody like hurting, don't you think to yourself, even if you're like not the same race or color or ethnicity, or you're not from the same culture, don't you just think to yourself, like, this is fundamentally wrong, right? Because how just, how don't you see your humanity in that other person is what I truthfully do not understand at all and and i think that like you said the whole advocacy thing um i'm not gonna lie for me it was overwhelming Mm -hmm. and i definitely like when people were posting on social media and like social media was just like hot at one point i had to step away for a couple of days and you know what i just it it was like it was 
traumatic being a black person as well. And even with the whole situation with like Breonna Taylor, like that was like, wait, what, what is going on? So I definitely had to step back. Um, I was donating a lot and stuff, but like, it's also like, what do you say? You know what I mean? And another thing too is like so many people have so many different opinions and like, you know, if you say something that's a little bit off or people don't agree, like they jump at your throat. So canceled. Yep. How do you really feel about cancel culture actually? That's that's loaded. That was a deep sigh. I don't even know if that translated over, but that was a sigh, y'all. Um, yeah, I think cancel culture serves a purpose, right? But with everything, it has to be utilized in the right way because from the time that it is just, you can't cancel everybody for thinking differently than you, right? Um, and I think maybe a good way to to talk about it is we're at a stage right now where the United States is by and large a two-party political system. You know, it's, there are other parties, but the traction behind them doesn't fall the same way how Democrats versus Republicans go. Um, in the past, people could have had conversations and have been from opposite sides of the political spectrum and still talk with, to people with dignity, first and foremost. But we've moved to a place right now where it's difficult for a person who might identify as Democrat or more liberal and open views to really connect, see beyond, want to engage with someone who aligns with the Republican Party. Because what's happening is not all Republicans are bad. The same way how I said not not all police officers are bad, not all prosecutors are bad. But the problem is, is that you have chosen to back an individual who literally stands for oppression and yeah, I'm going to say oppression in all forms because then you can break it down to different subsets, but, and those things weren't deal breakers for you. That speaks volumes. That's the bystander thing. That is your allegiance to a party goes over people. That is what happens when, you know, we talk about rape and rape culture when people say, oh, yeah, but, you know, he was or she was a good guy or wait, what? And you didn't call your friend out like you just or you're going to ride for your homies because that's not OK. That's not helping people grow. Um, so I think that it can be dangerous to cancel people because it's a place where conversation can happen and education can happen. People can grow. I've definitely seen people come from the sunken place and see the light. Okay. And that doesn't mean that the light equals something that's, you know, liberal or that the light is conservative. It just means seeing the light that you are able to engage in a conversation to see value in what both sides are saying. Um, As someone who is in law school, that is one of the critical skills that you need to have. If I can't have a conversation with someone and at least hear them for what they're doing, like the best attorneys out there, the best litigators out there are the people who can find the holes. You have to master the other argument, find the holes around it. But if you're not even willing to hear it, how are you going to find the holes? How are you going to show that, you know, to, to verify and validate what you're saying? So I think that Cancel culture has to be used with, you know, a a grain of salt, but it definitely serves a purpose. And just kind of, you know, turning back to the being overwhelmed with the advocacy work, because, you know, sometimes 
I think both of us talked about this. It's not just the seeing the videos of these murders, right? Or hearing the stories from the news reports, but it's also the memes that we share. It's also, it's tiring, even though I post Black Lives Matter all the time, it can be tiring to see that all the time. Um, It it can be an assault on your emotional welfare to be completely honest with you. But it goes back to that whole idea of the gaslighting, the fact that we have become so desensitized to the experiences and the traumas that comes with being um, a Black person. I, I, I pause there because all people of color have faced certain types of oppression in the United States, right? That's not something that's unique to the U.S., but right now we are talking about Black people. And I found that people are very hesitant to, you know, they say call a spade a spade. People are hesitant to say, right now we are talking about Black lives. They're quick to say, you know, Black and brown or whatever the case is, but there are unique experiences that plague different racial identities or impact different racial communities or ethnic communities that don't apply to all people. It's not a one size fit all thing. The other thing is the darker you are in your pigmentation and the way that you show up, your melanin, you know, is what really gets you targeted because we found that, you know, there are our Latino brothers and sisters and folks out there who might be more presenting as someone who might identify as black. And there are some who identify or look presenting as a a, a white person. And it's like, wait a second, the experiences that they have can drastically change, but the further along the spectrum you are to being darker in complexion, the worse off you are in any way you go in the world. Like that is something that colorism is a thing. Um, (laughs) But people get offended when you say, you know, that it's, we're talking about black people right now. And that doesn't mean that the plights and the hardships of other communities of color do not matter or that they are not important because they are. And I will be there with y'all on the front lines of the protest there too. But we got to make sure that we are being very clear and intentional about what we're talking about. And we're talking about that desensitization, that gaslighting, like you were saying, as soon as people say Black Lives Matter, people turn around and say all lives matter. And you're like, wait a second, did you hear, you didn't even hear what we said about Black Lives Matter and why that matters. You know, like, why is this uh, an issue of humanity? This is not just a, oh, you know, people have differences of opinion. You can't have a difference of opinion on humanity. Like, <laughs> somebody copyright that. You There's no, there's no space for that oh, at all. Man. Because for me, I'm that crazy person. You know, they tell you there's certain conversations you shouldn't talk about in public because like they're taboo they tell you don't talk about politics don't talk about religion don't talk about about race as soon as i'm meeting people i need to know those things off the bat it tells me exactly everything that i need to know it helps me understand how you see the world and also how you see and perceive me and other people like me um and just i'm trying to change the narrative with the work that i do and advocacy and what i write and what i say and how i talk to people i don't want people to be afraid to talk, right? And understand that there's always a risk, but there are risks with everything that we do. There's a risk with not saying anything. Here's what happens. People don't say anything and we end up here where we are right now as a nation. So I want to encourage, I like the idea of courageous conversations, but I want to change it to equitable conversations um, or, or some type of intersectionality there. Because when you talk about equity, it 
validates the experiences that every single person comes with. Courageous is like, oh, you know, you guys are brave or you all are brave for, for doing this. No, I'm not brave. This is what equity demands. This is what justice demands that we get out there and say some things. Um, and I think the other thing as being someone who is navigating the legal world and stuff like that, people want to say we're not at a place where we can look at things in a race neutral way yet. Um, I advocate for a race conscious approach to anything that we do because we have a lot of history to unwind. So if all of a sudden, for example, we're like, you know, all, I can't even think of an example right now, but if you're saying that we want to be in a place where everybody, regardless of your racial identity is equal, you have to understand that we're not even starting off at the same foot. So you can't say race neutral yet. We need to talk about race conscious to address the fact that, hey, we're not there yet, but we're trying to remedy those defects. Um, I aspire to the day where we are in a space where we can be race neutral, where we can apply, you know, the law in a way that is fair and equitable to all people. The problem is that historically it shows it has not been. So we have to account for those things. That doesn't mean that a person of color or a black person or an Asian person or a Latino person gets a slap on the wrist, that they shouldn't be held accountable for their transgressions. Absolutely not. But it means that you're looking at the totality of the circumstances that this individual comes to the table with, because, you know, who ends up, you know, going to trial or who ends up getting plea bargains, what attorneys they can afford, the resources that they have, it all changes. Um, and I mean, we can go on at nauseum about um, periods of time in the United States when we talk about, you know, super predators or the war on drugs. And then like now there's such a push on opioid addiction and being there to not punish people who have these diseases. We want to make sure that they're getting the treatment that they have. Yet we still have people, we have Black men, women, and folks who are still incarcerated for decriminalized things, for things that their counterparts who who identify as white or because their area code was different did not have the same outcome. We have to talk about over-policing. It's, I mean, we, again, could go on for days, but I think recognizing that you know, the difference between race conscious and race neutral, recognizing that we have to take care of ourselves, that self-preservation is key because gaslighting is a thing. Um, there are a lot of people who have a lot of their keyboard keyboard warriors. They got a lot to say behind the scenes, but then when they show up in your face, they want to smile. Mm-hmm. They want to send you a friend request on Facebook so that they can mind your business, right. but they're silent when they see you. No, keep that same energy. Say it with your whole chest. You know what? I want your parents to say it with their chest too. I want to hear it all because I refuse to be in a state where 50 years from now, you and I are sitting and we're talking and we're like, dude, we're in the same place that we were in. Like that, I just can't wrap my mind around that. And it requires people to see the humanity in this, that It's not that we're trying to put people of color in a better position than white folk. What we are trying to do is equalize the the playing field for experiences. We want to make sure that um, equity is it. Like that is what it is. Equitable justice is all I want. I want the same fair shake. We want the same opportunities. But in order to get there, we have to recognize that there were systems of oppression that continue to work to marginalize these communities and stop them from achieving their best places. Bars. (laughs) 
um, so with all of that, like, what are your hopes for the future and with your work? You know, obviously you're going to be a lawyer. Um, what do you hope to do um, in terms of like your career as a lawyer? So the future, right? I sometimes you have a plan and you're like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. You feel it in your core, your soul, your bones. You got it on your vision board. And then life laughs at you like Corona and 2020 came and shook everybody else up. I'm like, JK, oh, you thought this was going to be a hot girl summer. Oh, that's cute. Everybody's locked up in their house now. Look at that. (laughs) But I think um, coming into law school, and I say this everywhere I go, every interview that I have, it's important that I want to be, no matter what side of justice I'm on, I want to be in a place that I am seeking equitable justice, that I am giving a voice to the marginalized communities to make sure that there is a system of checks and balances, that there is accountability. Um, You know, one of the quotes that you read earlier is the fact that I don't want accountability is not synonymous with aggression. It's not. But people are being made to feel that it is. And I am big on accountability, especially if there are dollars attached to it. Hello. Um, no, 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 no. We're not going to sit here and act like that's not a thing. Um, so I'm going to preface everything with that. Coming into law school, I think there are very few students of color, much less black students who join the profession. Um, when you look at the statistics on a national scale, the number of black attorneys, it's like, wait, how is that even possible? Now, there are a number of situations that, you know, influence that from opportunities to financial resources to, you know, biases and all of that that affect it. But the point being is there are very few of us out there in the world. Um, And for the few that do make it, there's often a push to go to the defense side, right? Because that is the side where you're going to get to advocate for predominantly people of color. Our criminal justice system is by and large, Black and brown folks, all different gender identities, predominantly male identifying who are incarcerated. So it feels like that's the best way to right the wrongs of the system is to fight the good fight on that side. Um, And as time went on and I got more exposed to different opportunities that got there, and when you actually learn about how the criminal justice system works, I want to be in a space where I have power. Now, power can be anywhere where you are, right? But the way the system is currently set up, and I'm not saying that the system doesn't need to be revamped, completely demolished, start again. We need to do all of that. But right now, the power lies in the hands of the prosecutor. The prosecutor is the one who has the ability to determine what charges, if any charges are brought. They have the opportunity to offer plea deals, to offer diversion programs, to do a number of things. Um, The prosecution doesn't even need a, a specific client. They can bring charges on behalf of the state. That is what prosecution does or, you know, the district attorney at the higher level. And, you know, the, the list goes on. So for me, right now where I am, I think that I am probably going to find myself on that route. And that is scary to say out loud to people recorded where people can go back and listen and all of those things, because uh, being a person of color, being a black woman and saying that you want to be a prosecutor is like, it's like saying you want to jump into the ocean with a bajillion sharks and it's negative 50 degrees in the water. And you're like, I do this for fun. 
Like this is, it is not fun to be there. The way that, the way that misogyny and racism collide on that side, the experiences that happen there are egregious. Um, but I recognize, and this is something that I always say as well, it's not enough just to be a person of color in these positions of power. You really need to be the right person because you could be a person of color who feels uncomfortable speaking up and you're not helping advance or you know advocate for people who need it most, whoever that is. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a person of color. It could be um, a person who isn't able-bodied. It can be a person who is elderly. It could be a person who identifies with the LGBTQIA community with um, privilege comes responsibility. And I carry that in my stride in everything that I do. So I want to make sure that when I show up, I show up as a whole person. When I, I don't just show up as Amanda, a law student. I don't show up as Amanda, um, someone who's super involved in activities or a recipient of different awards. I show up as a Black woman. I show up as a Black woman who grew up in the inner city, but also a Black woman who grew up in the inner city, attended an all-girls private school. Like, I recognize the privilege that I carry as well, and I want to make sure that I leverage it in the best ways that I can to have the best opportunities for folks. So for me, I think that I am probably of the most service to my communities on the side of the prosecution. Um I've been kind of preparing for that this semester. I'm going into some opportunities that are going to help me further explore what that looks like in practice. And I'm looking forward to that. I think on a broader scale, it would be great to see our criminal justice system, our justice systems in general, our legal system looked at and better um, better reflect the needs of our nations. Because a lot of these institutions were started at a place where the experiences of certain folks were not accounted for. They were not at the table when these conversations were had. Therefore, these systems were not worked to protect them and their interests as well. So being there, I think it's important. I have found myself time and time again, and I think some people, especially you, always like to tell me, Amanda, when you find yourself in these situations, you really got to look at it. Is this something that you need to work on or is this something that is preparing you for the next season in your life. And there are a number of experiences where my advocacy has taken a severe toll on me. Um, not like I've been beaten physically or anything like that, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally, socially, definitely have taken beatings time and time again, where it is often a very lonely road. But I recognize that that's my skill. Public speaking, let's do this. Like we wanna talk about justice, let's do this. That's the stuff that like gets me fired up and helps me get up every day to fight a good fight. Um, and I think that my skill in doing those things are probably of best service on the prosecution side. So that is probably the most immediate future. Um, something else that I really wanna do is I wanna dabble in education. What that truly looks like, I'm not sure, but I think that when you have that skill, it's important to kind of change the narrative because if not, you're going to have the same people basically, you know, teaching the same way, spewing the same information the same way. That's not exactly helpful um, for people to grow or for people to live a more transformative life. You know, I, I can't even talk about, we talk about defund the police. We talk about these different reforms. I'm looking for more of a transformative justice model. And that's something that I kind of worked a lot on this summer in my past internship, where literally in part of my title was like, 
a racial justice dismantling intern. Like that was part of my title. Um, talk about fitting. Right, right. I was like, yo, I am taxed out. Wow. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm a black person. I'm a black law student and I'm showing up to work like this. Can I get a break? Hello? Can I take the day? Cause I am exhausted. I'm blessed to be in these spaces, but a cis can't get a break. No way, no how. Um, But transformative justice really looks at these systems that are in place and focuses on rectifying the harms so that they do not continue to perpetuate. And I think that's important. We're not trying to repoint the finger. No, we don't want, you know, slavery for other folks or anything like that. That is not what we're trying to do. But what we need to do is address the harms that have happened so that we can actually move forward. When we don't talk about our history in a true way, we end up in a place where it's like the truth is so foreign, where accountability looks like aggression and folks are left out there being exhausted and we're, we're continuously being in the cycle. Basically, right. Yeah, it just becomes a cycle. Yeah, so I want to try my hand in whatever way that I can in activism, um, both within the courtroom, but also in educational settings, whether that's in a formal classroom or if that means community organizing. Stay tuned for what that looks like. I, like I said, I'm trying to stay prayed up always. So I'm hoping to take my directions from my spiritual being out there to make sure that I'm doing things and that it's moving in a way that aligns with my purpose and my mission here on earth. Um, Because I think that's where you find your sustenance, right? That's the difference between a job and a career. People get up and they go to a job and they don't love it. You're going to have off days with your career but you love it. It's the thing that keeps you driving. So I want to make sure that that's something that I do continuously, no matter what. Um, I'm trying to live like John Lewis, to be honest. Mm. Like, even in all of the pain and the suffering that he experienced, he still, you see so many videos about him out there dancing to happy. And I'm like, go off, go off with your bad self. Yes. Because if you can't smile, if you can't take care of yourself, if you can't find a moment to also be human and not just be robotic and just keep moving forward in the world and taking these lashes, um, you're going to lose yourself. I don't want to be in that space where I, I lose myself. And I think that it's important to have those checks and balances. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think that there's something, um, one last quote from you that really stood out to me, um, you said, I know instinct tells us that this nation was never built to protect people like us, but this nation would not be who it is without us. Although we were not expected to be keepers of history, I refuse to let this be our story. And bars again. um, (laughs) Bars again. No, you're definitely, you're, you're on your path. I can feel it. I can feel the energy. Um, This is something that you were meant to do. Um, like you're selfless in the work and, you know, standing up for people and standing up in situations where everybody's looking at you like you're crazy. Cause it's not just like all the time, bro. Like you're, cause people pick and choose what they want to stand up for, right? People they do what they want to like go onto the street and fight for. Um, I mean, we all do, but I think this is, this is a button that you can't turn off. Right. Ever. Right. <laughs> like constantly, like it's constantly nagging you. So um, you're definitely, on your path, but you're, like you said, like self care is important, and you, you got to dance to happy, just like John John Lewis. <laughs> I, you know, I might do that right after this call, just to remind right. myself, get recharged and recentered. Um, <laughs> but it's incredibly important. You're right. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Before I let you go, you know, the podcast is called The Word to the Wise. So any final words of wisdom to the listeners? And it could be about what we've been talking about. It could be whatever you think people need to keep in their orbit. Totally up to you. Yeah. Um, which is only fitting to have, you know, at least one parting word. I think something that I would say is make sure when you show up to any space that you are being unapologetically you and that you are being selfless and compassionate in the work that you do. Because if you practice those things, then equity is going to be a natural fit. Um, when we show up to the work and whatever that is, and you are unapologetically you, and that doesn't mean, you know, there's a time and place for everything, right? Um, but that means understanding that your blackness, your brownness definitely has a place in the workspace. Like you shouldn't have to not bring those identities with you when you show up. And when you do those things, it becomes normal. The fact that we, for so many years have been taught, like, not to wear our natural hair and wearing our natural hair is like such an anomaly. I'm like, wait a second. That's the hair that grows out of my head. Mm. The fact that we have come so far that it hasn't been normal to wear the natural hair. It's like that we, we can't afford to be in those spaces anymore. So be unapologetically you be compassionate and equity will automatically flow from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can, can have said it better. I can't even talk better. I can't say it better. Anyway. Are you, are you all right? Am I all right? <laughs> well, Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show today. You know, I love you always. Love you, sis. Thank you for having me. Thank you for creating a platform for people to speak. Um, thank you for being so responsive to the needs of our community. I mean, obviously, I listen to all your episodes because that's how we ride forever. Right. But I am so proud to see you blossoming as well. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity and that you are stepping forward even more in your purpose and creating that space. So thank you for having me. Well, guys, that was a great conversation I just had with Amanda. I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. Till next time, peace and love. Always, always, always. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to rate and review this podcast. And if you're truly loving this podcast, I suggest you follow us on Instagram at a word to the wise pod. Also, if you have any suggestions about episodes or things you'd like me to discuss on the podcast, please feel free to email a word to the wise pod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.